Welcome, everybody. I am Jesse Mogul, and thank you for joining us on the American Contingency Podcast. We are a united nationwide community of steadfast Americans ready for any challenge that comes our way. We inform, equip, and train so you can prepare, respond, and recover from any man-made or natural disaster or situation. And as always, I'm blessed to have you here for another episode of the American Contingency Podcast. I am super excited for this episode. I have put a lot of effort into it, and I'm going to be calling some of this C-U-L-L-I-N-G, calling some of this information off of my uh, blog post that I made for the American Contingency members site. And it's because I put a lot of effort into those blog posts that I thought, well, wouldn't bringing these three blogs together as one unit be an amazing episode as we move into the final quarter of 2023, preparing ourselves for 2024? A little bit of housekeeping before we move forward. In November, we're going to have Denny G come back on. He is our lead training coordinator to discuss a new Facebook Live show that we are launching. I call it Facebook Live. It might be on YouTube. It might be on Facebook. It might be on other ones. We're not really sure yet because so many people have issues with so many different social media networks. But ultimately, what we're seeking to do is just bring the community in, have us talking Um, down the line. We would love to have people be able to put things into the chat that we can bring on. And we would even love to bring members on and have them talk about preparedness in their own lives. So Denny G and I are going to be launching a show here soon uh, in November. And then I'm going to have him come on and we're going to talk more about that along with all of the things that we're preparing to create for you all as far as training resources go moving into 2024. And then we're going to have Tom Rigsby come back on because I don't think three to four episodes is nearly enough for him and I to twaddle on and discuss preparedness and American contingency. Uh, We could easily discuss this stuff till the cows come home, and even then they would probably go to sleep before we stopped. So we will have him come on in December and Denny G come on in November. Let's make sure that you had an opportunity to go back and listen to Mario Q's. I loved his story of being born in Central America, escaping from the plight that was going on there, coming here, going through his citizenship, and really establishing himself as a member of, you know, not just American contingency, although that did almost pop out of my mouth, but really a member of his community that could be looked up upon, that could be called upon whenever there was needs and desires to be met because he has it together. And adversity is going to happen. It's part of the human existence to suffer, whether we suffer in our own minds or whether we bring on some kind of you know behavior or habit or addiction that causes us to suffer, whether it's just other people in our lives living their lives that cause us to suffer because it's all one big humongous web. And finding opportunities to take that adversity and moving forward with it as a lesson is one of the most powerful things that we as humans have at our disposal when it comes to just our power to forge ahead, even during the darkest circumstances and the darkest days. And certainly our history as a species is riddled with atrocities that have shaken us at our core that we have managed to move through and come out on the other side, a better population. Also, a tremendous amount of technological advancements have happened over just the relatively short 100 years or so since the Industrial Revolution really started to get underway and we moved into the Roaring Twenties. Well, you know, 
we are getting ready to come upon, uh, and I know it's about 15 years away, but we're pretty close to coming upon the beginning of World War II as far as we're concerned when we, the United States of America, joined it in 1938. Uh, you know, what we as a population as a country had to invent in order to put ourselves in the position to win that war was pretty magnificent. And it set ourselves up for the modern era that we have been enjoying since 1945. And we have gone through a tremendous amount of change. And what is coming up on, what are we looking at, almost 70 years, 45 to 25? Wouldn't that be 55 and 60 and 70 and 80, 80 years? Um, and so, yeah, because I just said we're about 15 years away from the beginning. So we're looking at almost 80 years since the end. And we have gone through a tremendous amount of change as a society. And it's happening so fast that I don't think that we, um, as a population, as a citizenship, are quite prepared for the speed at which these changes are happening. In previous eras, changes to the civilization happened at a much more, I'm not going to call it a, a lazy pace, but certainly at a pace in which people could adapt more throughout as generations aged. And now we're seeing so many changes happen. Um, really, you know, you look at just the 22 years since 9-11, how many changes have occurred. Uh, then you also look at smartphones and the evolution of the internet. It's like we're now we're changing so fast it's happening by the year. And when this kind of change happens, we often find ourselves having a breakdown of communication. And communication and community leadership and understanding how to be there for others, as much as you want to be there for yourself, it's important to have self-care. But we talk a lot at American Contingency about community leadership, forming leaders, training leaders. And in order to be a really amazing leader, you have to be able to step outside of yourself and see what's good for the whole and not just good for the I or the, you know, the very close in proximity we of our family. We have to see beyond the scope of our own house and understand that, hey, maybe I should get together a neighborhood watch program with my uh, cul-de-sac and maybe I should start to branch it out onto other houses along the street line. And what about the cul-de-sac next to us? Because if a tornado comes down through my neighborhood, it is definitely going to destroy people's homes who I care about and have gotten to know. And so why not get us all together and find out what we're all doing as a community to make sure that we're individually prepared so that we can be community-wide prepared. And that's why today what we're going to discuss is cultivating strong neighborhood bonds, right? We want to build community resilience, the power of active listening and building strong relationships, and also understanding conflict resolution as a path to peaceful outcomes. Because when we want to cultivate strong neighborhood bonds, it's going to be very important that we have the ability to actively listen to what other people are saying. And generally, generally, as humans, if we get enough of us in a, the same room together, we're going to have differing opinions. So how do we seek to resolve the conflicts so that we can move forward as a united front? So let's get into this. And yes, as I may have said before, these are coming directly out of 
the blogs that I had posted in the month of October over on our member site. So if you would like to be able to access these blogs and these trainings that I'm referencing uh, and have been referencing for months now uh, for the price of a value meal at a fast food restaurant, you can have the ability to log in as a member, to access the trainings, to start going to the local group branches that are in your community, be able to go to the statewide meetings, to be able to go to the nationwide meetings. It literally just blossoms from your community all the way out to a, to a county and state and nationwide level. And all of this is at your fingertips for, you know, a couple Starbucks coffees. That's all it's going to cost for a month. So, you know, shameful or blatant or not so blatant plug for the membership. I mean, after all, we don't provide all of these resources and not want more people to have access to them. So let's get into cultivating strong neighborhood bonds. One of the reasons I chose to put this one first is that as we're beginning to cultivate strong neighborhood bonds, we want to cover a lot of these things in order to allow other people to see the benefits of having a neighborhood community that you can call upon when times are tough or that somebody can call upon you when times are tough. The first thing that I put in the blog was about fostering a sense of belonging because humans, we want connection. I say this in my other podcast, From Sobriety to Recovery, and even in the College Success Habits podcast that I also run, that the opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of loneliness and feeling alone is connection. And we want to seek opportunities to foster a sense of belonging for everybody in our neighborhood. And I get that there can be be a very widespread demographic in your neighborhood. And I'm one of these people who feels like I want to judge people based off of who they actually are, not how they look. And when we go to foster this sense of belonging, I think it's extremely important that we just walk into it with a growth mindset, an ability to see beyond what is just merely being presented to us. Because together we thrive. A resilient community is equipped to overcome challenges and to support its members during difficult times. That's the point of building a strong community. When we want a resilient community, then we have to be looking at things proactively. We have to know that it's time to go introduce ourselves to the new neighbor before the calamity happens. When somebody moves in new, when they're new to an area, and in Huntsville, where I live, a lot of new people are showing up. I was that new person just two Thanksgivings ago, and it mattered a lot to me when strangers, who now are friends, would come up to me and introduce themselves and have conversations, right? It, you can wish outsiders weren't moving into your community all you want, but the fact is, is that they are there. And if you want to see them as an enemy before you've even gotten to know them, then you could always just follow the keep your friends close and your enemies closer uh, motto. But at the same time, I think we all know what it likes to feel like the new person, to feel like you don't fit in. And we also know what it feels like to be accepted and embraced. And you just don't know what kind of amazing human that other person is until you get to know them. Who knows what amazingness they could introduce into your life? And who knows what you could introduce into theirs? And it's not just, you know, volunteering. It's not just being prepared. It's not just community events and gatherings that we can be doing with one another. And of course, I can shout out to neighborhood watch programs. 
And it's, of course, supporting local businesses. Like I was saying earlier, when it comes to those ham radios, surely there's probably somebody you don't have to go to the big box store. But we want to inspire this idea of inclusivity because the more people feel included, the more you'll have access to their talents, to their skills, to their personality, the more they might be able to step up for you when you're when you're in need, the more you might be able to step up for them when they're in need. It's inclusivity. I say it at the end of my other two shows so much, inclusivity over exclusivity, because inclusion is all about connection. And that's what we're looking for as community leaders. It's the ones who say, yeah, you know what? I met and met them. And yeah, they are from a different state, but you know what? They're actually good people because all humans want the same basic needs met, food, water, shelter, warmth. We want some level of certainty in our lives. We want variety and be able to meet new people and do new things. We want connection. We want to feel significant in other people's lives. We want to grow and we want to contribute. Like These are things that naturally just pour out of us when we're given the opportunity. And when you knock on somebody else's door, you open the floor for dialogue. You invite somebody in to share about themselves. And you can do this through the power of active listening, number two. So if you're taking notes, and I think everybody should take notes, but you may not be. So just remember, the first one to cultivating strong neighborhood bonds is fostering a sense of belonging by inspiring inclusivity and opening up the floor for dialogue. And this can begin to maneuver your neighborhood, your community into cultural exchanges, uh, community-wide initiatives, supporting local businesses, a neighborhood watch program, emergency preparedness, thriving together. And you can meet in person, you can meet online, you can meet through social media, but there's all these opportunities to be involved. And whether that means volunteering in your community or simply just Letting people know that if they need somebody to talk to, you can be there for them. This is a very powerful way to build strong neighborhood bonds. And when that person ends up in front of you or over Zoom or on social media, we want to be actively listening in order to build these strong relationships. Because I think we all know what it feels like to be in a conversation with someone who is simply listening to respond and not actually recording any of the things that we're saying. You know you've been in those conversations where you're talking, and it's like the person just, they, they, it's like they keep opening their mouth ready to talk, but you keep talking, so they're, they're being at least polite enough not to interrupt, but they are definitely waiting for their turn to speak. And these kind of communication opportunities, they're not really benefiting anyone because nobody's listening. Nobody's actually taking in any of the information being presented to them because they're waiting for their turn to talk. So we want to discuss when it comes to active listening, what the essence of active listening is, how to cultivate deep connections through listening, and also some practical tips for becoming an active listener. So in the essence of active listening, there's something to be said for engaging with undivided attention. Active listening requires undivided attention. And there are plenty of things begging us, dinging and binging and belling for our attention. Oh, it's not just our smartphone. It's, you know, we got 
these talking devices now that are always listening and then putting ads on our Google. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I can't, uh, can I, do I have any within earshot? No, we've got the Alexas, we've got the Series, we've got the Googles. All of these things can also be taking our attention. And of course, the smartphones got notifications galore. And not to mention our inbox on our email is never ending. And then there's probably the dog barking next door. And then there's the storm outside. Plenty of things to take away our engagement with the person that we are talking with. So let's put away the phone. Let's turn our phones upside down so we don't even see the screen. Put that thing on do not disturb once in a while and make eye contact. Actually lean in, you know, nod your head. When you hear somebody say something that's actually profound or meaningful or just something that they simply shared, reflect upon what they said. Summarize it. Ask them a question back. People will enjoy being engaged with you in a conversation when they know that you're actually engaged in the conversation. Now, number two, emphasizing uh, emotional cues. It's very important to notice body language. You know, a lot of the times there's information that we would like to have about people in our lives. But if we're paying attention to facial expressions, body language, tonality of voice, and this is actually uh, called sensory acuity in neuro-linguistic programming, of which I am a master trainer and practitioner of, when I teach this in my workshops, uh, it's all about paying attention to cues. And some of us are just naturally good at this, which we never are actually naturally good at anything. It's just a learned behavior over time that we've just become so good at that now we're unconsciously competent. But for those of you who may not necessarily be as good at picking up on emotional cues and body language, I think it's extremely important that you begin to practice this by just paying attention to how somebody shifts their body or how their face shifts in a conversation, or how their breathing changes in the conversation. And nothing means anything until you know what it means. So you might think that their sped up heart rate or their constant turning away means that they're nervous and they don't really want to talk to you, when in reality, it could be an infinite amount of things and you don't know till you ask. And a simple, you know, I'm noticing that your heart rate seems to have kicked up or you're, you're looking around a lot. Is there something going on? You know, something you'd like to talk about? Engaging with somebody with a question that doesn't come off as uh, almost like, they don't have to feel like they have to defend themselves if you simply say something like, I'm just a little curious. I'm noticing you're looking around a lot. Is something happening that I could help you with? That can lower defenses and that can increase the engagement in the conversation. And then if we could suspend our judgment and preconceptions. The human brain wants to generalize because that's how we know how to open up a door anytime we walk up to it. Oh, I know doors. They go left, right, up, down, in, out. It's not that difficult. So the brain generalizes that all doors are relatively going to open in one of those six ways I just mentioned. But we can also do this with humans, and it can be to our detriment. If we generalize based off of biases that we might have about the way somebody looks or talks or dresses or the kind of car they drive or how well they keep up their yard, we miss on an opportunity to actually get to know that person. Let people express themselves freely without the fear of being judged. And I did an episode last night for my sobriety show about stigmatizing language and, and how so often in our society we have these stigmas that we attach to people based off of stereotypes and experiences we've had with other people who perhaps look like them. And I'm you know, sort of bouncing around the bush here, but I think y'all are getting at what I'm, what I'm stirring. And the bottom line is, is that no one person is necessarily going to treat me the same way 
that somebody who looks similar to them once treated me. Each person has a new opportunity to treat me however they choose to treat me. And I have the opportunity to choose to treat them however I choose to treat them. And to me, each time I go up to a new face is an opportunity to start clean, to start fresh. And even when people have wronged me in the past, there's still an opportunity to let some of that stuff slide by. Certainly there are things that people will do they need to make amends for, but oftentimes, you know, the forgiveness that we offer someone is more for us than it is for them anyways. So if we can suspend our judgment and preconceptions, we actually open up an opportunity to get to know somebody, not based off of what they look like or sound like, but more about who they actually are as a person. Um, if we're looking to be building strong community bonds, this is one of the most powerful ways to do it, is to let go of biases and preconceptions. Because in a neighborhood, there are going to be a lot of people. And even if they all happen to look like me, right, I'm tall, straight, white, American male. I call myself a T-SWAM because that's the acronym I came up with. And tall, straight, white, American male. It's like, even if everybody is a T-SWAM that lives around me, it does not mean that they've had the same life experiences as me. So it means that each one of them has something new and amazing that they could teach me if I'm just willing to listen. And it actively engage in conversations with them. When we want to cultivate deep connections, we do this through trust and respect. We create an environment where we we oblige somebody with our trust and respect, right? It's up to them whether they choose to reject it or not and wrong me. But ultimately, I want to genuinely hear what they have to say. I want to encourage them to be authentic and open in their communication because that's how I'm going to get to know them and perhaps, again, learn something extremely valuable. Building emotional um, intimacy, being able to actually talk with someone about the problems that they are having in their lives or the strife that they have felt in the past gives you an opportunity to help them in a way that most people in the community will never even attempt to achieve, let alone get close to achieving. And what do I mean by building emotional intimacy? There's a vulnerability that humans desperately want to show one another. We've gone through a catastrophe in our lives. We've gone through financial mismanagement. We've you know, had the stock market crash on us in 08 and 09 and lost our house and our job and our car and play that song backwards and we get everything back. We've you know, had a tornado or a hurricane or a mudslide or a blizzard affect us in a way that took you know, days, weeks, months to be able to heal from. There's a vulnerability that comes from somebody feeling comfortable enough with me to share those historical markers in their life. And that's when I can start opening up a conversation on how American contingency and the things I do around mental health can benefit them. People have scars. We've all got bruises, as the band Train sings so eloquently. When we are willing to show the scars and show the bruises, we're able to effectively help one another and potentially not get scarred and bruised in the future. And the third part of this is resolving conflicts effectively. You resolve conflicts effectively, and I'll get deeper into this here in a few minutes, by actually engaging in open communication. If you address the issue right away, then it has a much higher rate of being solved than if everybody just parts ways agreeing to be pissed off at each other, and then they all just get to go back to their you know respective corners, if you will, in this metaphor, and then just stew on why they're mad at that person. 
get the problem resolved as quickly as possible because letting it drag out only allows each all the people participating in that moment to create their own stories in their head for why they're even more mad at that person than they were before. Resolve it in the moment. If everybody needs to take 10, 20, 30 seconds, walk around the block and come back with a cooler head, great. But letting something drag out days and days and days doesn't behoove anyone's mental health, let alone opportunities to actually consciously connect. Practicing mindfulness, asking open-ended questions, reflecting what other people say and, and validating and affirming it, even if you don't necessarily believe it. Everybody has their own life that has caused them to create the opinions that they have, the beliefs that they believe in. It doesn't make it any less true simply because you don't believe in it or I don't believe in it. We all have our truths. Reflecting and validating that somebody's truth is unique to them and their experiences is a great way to move the conversation forward. And that's going to allow people to feel that you're being patient with them and open-minded and really respecting who they are presenting themselves to be. I might be using a lot of random words here, and most of this is just coming off the top of my head, but think back to opportunities you've had to actually connect with somebody in a conversation, right? Were they being mindful of your body language? Were they being patient with you? Were they reflecting the things that you said to them and validating them, regardless of if they believed in them or not? Were they at least validating that you are allowed to have your own unique perspective on the world? Were they bringing in these open-ended questions I've mentioned multiple times? Were they being mindful and aware of the situation in order to cultivate this stronger bond? All of these things can pair up and grow together to complete this beautiful puzzle of conscious communication. And that's the essence of building a strong neighborhood. Those are the bonds we want. And lastly, conflict resolution. When we empower people through the art of personal defense or conflict resolution or de-escalation techniques, we give people a sense of empowerment that they can handle themselves and help other people handle themselves when the chips are down, when the house calls in the bill. People who don't feel empowered are then going to feel like a victim. And I don't want anyone to feel like a victim. And we talk enough on this show and within the community over at AmericanContingency.com that the more people group together and discuss possible scenarios that could happen, the more empowered we feel. It doesn't actually make us fearful and afraid and trepidatious about leaving our house. It actually, actually allows us to stand up straight with our head held high, seeing other people for who they are and being willing to communicate with them anytime in order to achieve a common goal. That's how we've all gotten to this stage in this progression of this amazing experiment that we call the United States of America. When the chips are down, we bond together. Whether it's the Revolutionary War, whether it was in the Civil War, whether it was in all the other wars, whether it was 9-11, uh, whether it's just the local you know, flood that happened a couple blocks away. When we team up, we accomplish great things. You can help people do this around personal defense by getting some training of your own, inviting other people to get training with you. We can be aware of our surroundings understanding exit strategies, understanding new people coming into our, our space of energy. Because so often, 
there is this huge area. I'm picturing a mall right now. Do you guys remember malls? We used to go to those as Americans and waste an in, inordinate amount of time buying stupid crap we didn't really need and drinking Orange Julius's a lot, right? That's situational awareness, even in some place like a mall or a market or a farmer's market, is so important because it's great to feel comfortable where you're at. And in this day and age, you just don't know about the random act of violence that could happen on any given Tuesday, or in the case of most farmers markets, Saturday morning at 9am. We're blessed to live in a country where missiles and bombs aren't going off, like so many of those countries in the Middle East have to deal with. But it doesn't mean that we just get to walk around staring at our phone, completely oblivious to the world that's going on around us. Lift your head up, Become more self-aware. Understand that there are you know, things that you could be prepared to have on you in case some kind of thing breaks out. Right, you could be thinking of so many different things. Whether you know it's it could be tear those little tear spray things, right? You've also got those tasers. And I'm not saying that I want you to leave in your house always worried of some random act of violence. But I know enough people in Huntsville, Alabama, who walk around with a knife in their pocket and a weapon on their belt clip. You know, sometimes it's concealed, sometimes it's not. Are these people walking around scared to death that something will happen? No. From my interviews and conversations with them, they actually feel pretty freaking confident about leaving their home. So there's something to be said for self-awareness, situational awareness, and preparedness. The art of conflict resolution at its core is about active listening, effective communication, and understanding the nature of the conflict. Why are people disagreeing in the moment? Right. Yes, I'm taking us from a farmer's market where there could potentially be a you know calamity that happens with a lot of people around to just a one-on-one opportunity to communicate. What is the nature of the conflict? Because I really can't stress enough that to me, to me, and you can decide whether to take on this viewpoint or not, that it's not usually a problem between person A and person B. It's actually an issue with the problem. It's not really a problem between Democrats and Republicans or the House and the Senate, right? It, the problem is whatever problem we're trying to overcome. Now, if people refuse to actually listen to one another and communicate effectively, then yes, now they become part of the problem. But I recently was told this really cool metaphor that when black ants and red ants are put into a jar, they live harmoniously and they enjoy the jar life, right? They just, they are all, hey, we're all in this jar. You shake that jar. And now those are some pissed off ants and the black ants and the red ants start to fight one another and kill each other. In this metaphor, the black ants and the red ants were never the problem. It was the person who shook the jar. If we could truly understand who's shaking the jar and realize that it's often not the people whose names we know, but the names and the faces that we have no clue are even associated with the problem. Understanding the nature of the conflict, realizing that all humans want to have food in their fridge, good water coming out of the faucet, a warm place to lay their head, and a house to to wake up and fall asleep into. I mean, those are the four basic human needs. Certainty and variety and connection and significance and contribution and growth. All of these can come from having food, water, shelter, warmth, and lockdown. And when we understand that generally... Conflicts arise when people feel one of those four is being threatened. The economy starts to fall apart, and it's how am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to buy groceries whenever bags of chips sizes have been cut in half, but the price has doubled? 
You know, the other day I went to uh, like a, a sandwich shop and something I used to pay $7 for now costs 15 bucks. Well, guess I'm not going out to eat much anymore. But then I go to the grocery store and things I used to pay $5 I'm now paying $7 for. But guess what? My pay didn't go up that much. So when we start to have conflicts with one another, it's generally because our food, water, shelter, and warmth feel threatened. So when we have these conversations, instead of yelling, well, you have this and I don't have that. Well, you have that and I don't have this. Let's actually chunk it up a little bit more and actually find out the nature of the conflict. Because how we handle and approach conflicts shape outcomes. Recognize the root of the conflict. That can lead to more constructive resolutions. Because screaming back and forth at one another about how we're going to protect our streets from flooding or severe storms or crime, and then all of us walking away mad at each other with no solution, just leaves us susceptible for another day of flooding or storms or crime. Active listening. Genuinely listen. Build empathy. Understand that there is reconciliation if we're ready to choose reconciliation. If we choose conflict, then that's what we're going to get. And when we effectively communicate, we actually engage with the other person. We allow their feelings and their thoughts to be expressed, and then they allow our feelings and thoughts to be expressed. If you don't feel that somebody else is giving you the likewise communication that you're giving them of active listening and effectively communicating and paying attention to body language, then that's another conversation you can have with them. But when we want to de-escalate conflicts, we want to remain calm. We want to have empathy, compassion, right? We want to find common interests between one another. And food, water, shelter, warmth is at the root of all of our common interests. We can teach people conflict resolution skills, which we certainly do at AmericanContingency.com and plan on continuing to do at AmericanContingency.com. But we can also promote diversity and inclusion and community engagement. And when you take all three of these topics and you stir them up in this amazing stew, we are a melting pot. When we get together and we communicate all of this stuff, then we can cultivate strong neighborhood bonds. And we do it through the power of active listening. That builds resilient communities. And we resolve our conflicts in a peaceful way. No one person is ever going to have all the answers. I cannot stress enough how much I seem to find people in my own community ramming their heads against a wall, trying to make other people hear what they have to say when they're not listening to what anybody else has to say. We have laws. We have standards. We have principles. We have directives. We have a constitution and a bill of rights and amendments that have laid down behaviors which we have all agreed on by being citizens of this country. And those are amazing. And those are powerful. And those can be located in D.C. or they can literally exist on your street. But you choose the effectiveness of them by choosing to demonstrate them to the people that you come in contact with. American contingency matters to this country because we think having a contingency in place for any random Tuesday or the ones that are obviously coming from far, far, far away, like a hurricane coming from Africa could, that we are ready, that we are prepared, and that we know who in our immediate circle can be there for us like we want to be there for them.
The holidays are coming. Halloween is but a few days away. When we as a society have decided that we are going to go up to strangers' homes and ask for candy. And followed right behind that is some amazing football with the Thanksgiving holiday and the Christmas holiday and New Year's. Just bam, 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 bam. This is the time to be inclusive. This is the time to shake the hand of that neighbor you've yet to meet. This is the time to step up as a leader. When people see you doing it, it will wash over them and they'll feel the desire to do it. Maybe not immediately. Maybe not even right in front of you. It may happen, a butterfly effect, 20 different ways, 77 miles away from you. But I'm telling you, people pay attention to how other people treat people. And I would rather be somebody that somebody says, you know what, that dude, no matter what, he's always kind, almost to a fault, but at least he's kind. I would rather people say that about me than, man, he's really standoffish. Cool dude, just a little bit sideways sometimes. Because I want people to know they can knock on my door. Because I really hope that I can knock on theirs. And I follow these principles that I've laid out for you today because I have built these relationships in a neighborhood I've only lived in for four months. I know 10 different houses and all the husbands and the wives and the kids' names because that matters. Connection matters. We foster that at American Contingency because we know it works because we've worked it. Come on over anytime you're ready. AmericanContingency.com. Again, it's like the price of a couple coffees or an extra value meal and have access to everything that we provide for you. Because we want to move people from uncertainty to some level of certainty. And when you're ready to build the skills, the network, and the confidence to be ready for whatever comes next, join us at AmericanContingency.com. Talk to you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.